Upbringing, we're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Hi, I'm Hannah. This is Kelty. We're upbringing. We're here for a special conversation with our colleague and good friend, Jen Lumenlen of the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, very well-known parenting podcast. Um, that's research informed, like mm-hmm. our work, consent based, shame free, exciting thing. Her book is now out Parenting Beyond Power How to Use Connection and Collaboration to Transform Your Family and the World. She's now on book tour. She's going to come talk with us mm-hmm. right now today. And for you, Portland, Oregon area people, she's going to be m- making her way down the coast through Portland at the end of this month. And we would love to have you join us on October 28th. And October 29th for a little hangout, book signing, workshop. We will follow up with all the details, a but lot you can works. also learn about it at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash book tour. So you'll hear more, but let's get Jen on and talk about this incredible book and movement that she started here, Parenting Beyond Power. I'd like to read the back just so people kind of know a little about okay. intro. When our tr- children are stalling, resisting, tantruming, using mean words and hitting, we want to make it stop. But discipline methods like timeouts, countdowns, and quote-unquote consequences teach children that it's okay for more powerful people to control others. This is how our parents shaped us to survive in a white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalist culture. Our children will relive and pass on the pain this has created in us unless we make a different choice. Research-based parenting educator Jen Lumenlin offers a simple yet revolutionary framework for rethinking our relationships with children. We can learn to look beneath challenging behaviors to find and meet children's needs, and ours too, perhaps for the first time in our lives. This approach helps us to find solutions to conflicts that work for everyone in our families and in the wider world. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to bring Jen on. If you have any questions about what we're talking about, about the book, about her work, about upbringing, um, go ahead and put it. Okay, let's bring her on here. Also wanted to point out that we're wearing our little Parenting Beyond Power pins. Oh yeah, very special little buttons. Mm-hmm. Love my little Parenting it's Beyond so Power cute. button. They're really cute. So cute. I feel like we need multiple buttons though <laughs> to get like some extra, <laughs> like bling extra flair going on. Mm-hmm. Hey Jen, are you there? I am. Uh, I could see you, and now there we go. You made us sparkle. How did I sparkle us? <laughs> it's some sort of swipe. Oh well, it's a special occasion with you, Jen. I'm, this is I, how we feel. Full, full sparkle mode over here. <laughs> um, I see myself you, which is a little odd. Uh, 
We can see you. You're a little pixelated. Okay. Um, let me try this and hope it doesn't. Oh, so is my invitation expired? Am I still with you? You're here. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to make it see you, so, but we, we can still talk. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us today. We're, we've, um, we're just talking about your book in our Upbringing Collective membership community. We're doing it for our book club this month, mm -hmm. and it's been Ooh. so fun reading, uh, reading through it processing it, thinking, I want to talk to Jen about these ideas, and we want to spread these ideas to our community, to anyone who's here. Um, and if you have any questions, those of you listening right now here on Instagram, let us know. Um, go ahead and type it in there. But um, let's get started with the basics. For those who don't quite know you that well, who ha aren't familiar with your parenting mojo, who don't know, most people who are here probably know about parenting beyond power in general, our, we call it Parenting for Sanity and Social Change, so we have our own kind of spin on it. But I'm interested to hear just your, your take on it and how you came to write a book like this. Yeah, and I, sh I should apologize for any coughing uh, in advance. I'm getting over COVID and no longer contagious, but apparently the cough lingers for a long time. Um, so yeah, so I, I guess it was kind of a journey and uh, I've had a membership community for a long time and been supporting parents with uh, the, the struggles they're having with their children and um, was noticing that a lot of those kind of boiled down to, you know, how do I get my kid to dot, dot, dot. Um, and so there was that piece of it. And then there was a piece where I was exploring some really big social issues on the podcast, um, things like white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism and how those impact us. And kind of I, at the same time as all of that, I, you know, I've talked with you a number of times about the Taming Your Triggers workshop that I run and um, seeing the kinds of things that are triggering for people and, and you know, Saying, oh yeah, well, I my parents always freaked out if I wasn't perfect, or my parents freaked out. I was rewarded for um, for for being girly, right? For being beautiful, and I was punished if I didn't do those things. And I was rewarded for good grades and punished if I didn't uh, if I didn't do well in school. And just really seeing, oh, okay, so you were rewarded for complying with the norms of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism. You were punished for not complying with those norms. And now those are showing up in your parenting, and that's why it all seems so hard. And so it was just sort of this process of connecting the dots and saying, oh, yeah, now I see all of these pieces fit together, and then writing the book out of that. That's awesome. How do white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism show up in our parenting? Or typically, I mean, or the people you've worked with, or yourself. I think most of us think, well, that's outside our homes. Our <laughs> yes, we don't. Yes. We don't have any of that stuff. We work against that in the workplace, and you know, yeah. and um, you know, politically. But like, what? No, that's not in my house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so often, if we think back to our own childhoods, it's the things that we were rewarded for doing, the things that we were punished for doing, uh, the things that we were shamed for doing. And so if we think about the things that the struggles that we're having with our child right now, right, the things that we're trying to get them to do, the things we're trying to get them to not do, very often, we're rewarding them for doing things that are aligned with what we want. We're punishing them in some way, right? 
either by taking away privileges or just by giving them the side eye, just kind of saying, you know, that's not okay. Um, by kind of communicating, if you're going to be like this, then there's going to be a bit of distance between us. And if you change the way that you are, then you can come close to me. Um, and so that's how we communicate these things, right? And because we're all steeped in this culture, that is based on white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism, that's what we grew up with. And we all know that when things get hard in parenting, we fall back on the ways that we were raised. <laughs> and so it's, it's not surprising that in those difficult moments when our children push our buttons and we're trying to get them to do something or stop doing something, then we are uh, falling back on the tools that we were raised with. Mm -hmm. It's so hard, though, not to resort to those tools and to say, well, what what else, right? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. something you bring up in the in the book that I love so much is like compliance is not our goal. And I think that's such <laughs> a huge reframe for most of us who mm -hmm. are like, but I mean, compliance was my goal in surviving as a child in a huge way. Mm -hmm. And now compliance is my goal and behaving as an adult in the world, right, mm -hmm. to survive again. And now compliance shouldn't be my goal for my child also because doesn't that make things so much easier and smoother and more harmonious. They just conform and obey and you right know, and compete with everybody and, and perform and you know all of those things. And so what what is your answer to if compliance isn't our goal? I mean this is what your book is focuses more on is this other thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just seeing some of the comments come in. I'm seeing Ali Coco saying, any tips on you know three-year-old pushing a one-year-old sibling? It seems like you can't help it, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing where it just seems like compliance is the way to go here. <laughs> um, but, that if they would just comply with our demand, our, our strongly expressed wish that they would stop pushing their sibling, then uh, things would be a lot better all around. And so having set up the premise that you know, we're, we're steeped in this culture, we're going to perpetuate these cultural ideas if we don't do something different. What do we actually do differently in that moment when that three-year-old is pushing one-year-old? And uh, the framework, which I know you're very, very familiar with based on nonviolent communication, is to understand each child's need, right? There's a need that is, un, that is un, currently unmet, the child would like to have met, that three-year-old. Sometimes uh, children will push or hit each other as a way of saying, I want to play with you. <laughs> to us, it seems like, why would they do that? Why would they do that? But they do. Sometimes uh, a child will hit another child as a way of saying, parent, I, I need some help here. I need some connection with you. And they know that if they hit the other child, you're going to be on them immediately. And they would prefer not to have this negative interaction with you, but they'll take the negative interaction over no attention, over no connection. So we're always looking for what is the need this child is trying to meet. And then what, what I really love about this approach is in sort of most gentle, respectful parenting, your goal as a parent is kind of just to produce the perfect environment for your child. Your own, you know, your own needs are sort of a, an irrelevant distraction. And and so what I'm saying is, no, you are a person with needs too. You have just as much right to get your needs met as your child does. And very often, if your needs are related to peace and ease and harmony, then when you can meet your child's need for connection, for collaboration, uh, for autonomy, that often shows up with young kids as well, then you end up getting your needs met as well. And then we're in a much happier relationship. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's basically this, this, this movement from focusing on behaviors and compliance, right? Whether they're doing what you want them to or not doing what you want them to, right? And moving that to the root cause of those behaviors, the underlying driver, the much more productive source, which is needs, right? And I think I also like it that you mentioned that when you talk about needs, and, and focus on that, you're, su- you're supporting the kid and building that awareness and building the, that, that communication and all of the things. But you're also focusing on your own needs, which really matter quite a bit as well. And I, th- I like that idea, too, that if you p- apply both parent and child to the needs discussion, we can also apply parent and child to the behavior discussion. And let's be honest, most of us don't behave that well with our kids either very often. <laughs> we don't have to necessarily focus on their behavior when we can consider our own and be like, wow. I could, I could use a lot of work. So that's not very productive either. It puts us all in a place of shame and stress and lack, right? And, and powerlessness. And I like yeah. that you're moving that to something way more productive and saying, let's talk about what's underneath all of those behaviors so that we can actually build awareness around them, discuss them, and grow together through them and meeting them together. And is that the problem-solving approach that, that you have identified and, and share so widely about? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and so, yes, what we're what we're doing here is acknowledging that we all have needs, and that the vast majority of time we can meet both of our needs. And uh, and so we, we we very often tend to fall back on the tools that we were raised with, right? So it's very often limits are the first tool that we fall to, um, some form of consequences. Uh, then parents start to learn about boundaries and start to try setting boundaries. Sometimes mixing them up with limits, right? A boundary is something that you are not willing to do um, a limit is something that uh, that I'm asking my child not to do right you may not jump on the couch versus I am not willing to get the green spoon you've just decided you don't want the red spoon right? that's the difference between limits and boundaries um, so those tools have a role but if we're going to those tools first we're missing the opportunity for our child's needs to be met and for our needs to be met as well and I think a big reason for that is in our culture we really don't have a good model for two people's needs being met right like all of our um, our sporting contests, our criminal justice systems, our governance system relies on there is one person at the top who tells everybody else what to do. There is one winner, there is one loser. Um, and so we, we find this, this model very counterintuitive. But the reason, you know, there's, there's sort of two reasons that it's really exciting to me. The first is it makes parenting easier today. When, when you can understand what your child's need is, why they are doing this thing that's driving you up the wall, and you understand your need, you find ways to meet both of your needs, and that makes parenting easier. And then the broader sort of ripple effect that I see is that I don't believe that white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism can exist in a world where everybody's needs are met. Right. Where I perceive your needs as just as important as my own, where I perceive everybody's needs as just as important as my own. And my child does the same thing. Your children do the same thing. Everybody's children do the same thing. That to me is where we start dismantling these systems that have hurt so many people. I love that. And where the time is spent instead of prioritizing some people's needs over others, Mm -hmm. right, and privileging some and, and pushing others down, it's the time is spent in finding ways to problem solved through meeting everybody's needs, yeah. right? Yeah. This, this is feeling so relevant for what's happening in the world right now. I'm just like, yeah. wow, um, that whole not either or, but and. Yeah, yeah. and um, I want to say too that what I love about your book is 
in bringing up this idea of needs, it helps parents think, okay, so they have some needs, so I have some needs, so I'm gonna share what my needs are. Mm -hmm. But you even take it another level beyond that and say, what are my needs? Are they actually mine? Or are they my societal conditioning? Do these, is this even necessary? Mm -hmm. is, yeah. is it I need them to wear a coat? Or is it I think that they should wear a coat because that's what I do as a good parent and it's kind of chilly out, so I'm going to make them wear it. Mm -hmm. So where's, where's that distinction and how do you work with parents about is it truly a need of mine or is it just an expectation that mm -hmm. I've absorbed through my cultural conditioning or conventional wisdom or white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism? Yeah. We don't, how do we even know what our needs are? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, is it surprising that we don't know what our needs are when we have been told for the 20, 30, 40 years that our needs are, you know, not valid, that we should stuff them down? And, and that, that's what our parents did, right? And they didn't do this because uh, they, to, they actually wanted the best for us. They were probably parenting through a whole bunch of unresolved trauma that they brought into our relationship. And uh, they, they did the absolute best they could. They looked out into the world and either implicitly or explicitly thought that it was run by these supremacist patriarchal capitalist principles. And they wanted us to be successful in the world. And they looked at us and they said, you're not going to be successful if you go out like this. You're too big, you're too loud, you're too needy, you're asking for too much, so you'd better put all of your needs in a box and just pretend that and then you'll be able to be successful in the world. And, and I'm going to reward you when you can do that, and I'm going to punish you when you can't do it because it's better for you that I reward you and punish you a little bit now and that you get hurt a little bit now. So that you don't get hurt more by the world later. And, I mean, this is why parents show up in my name your triggers workshop, right? Because then their child comes uh, to an age where they were rewarded and punished for doing things. And they're like, but I want my kid to have a full emotional expression. But I would have been punished for doing this thing that's, you know, that they're, they're really doing that's poking my buttons. And so there's this huge tension between the parents' values, which are based on, uh, you know, being able to understand your whole feelings, being able to be your whole self, and and the way that they were raised. And so, you know, no, no wonder we can't identify our own needs. No wonder we struggle when our children articulate their needs, because we would have been punished for doing that same thing. Yeah, and so that first question, I feel like, I love that you're just even opening up the, the idea that it's okay that it's hard hard for us and it's understandable that it's hard for us and this is double work that we're doing in helping our yeah. child understand their needs and at the same time having to really open up what we call that inner wisdom and authority to say what am I needing and do I feel the permission to communicate it in a way that's not either or and it's not me or my child it can be both of us we can be, we can get through this together yeah but I, I, I like that you you really help parents in the book discern let me decide what uh, arguments or conflict re resolution moments or whatever it is I want to have with my kid and you you discuss something we discuss a lot which is resistance is the roadmap so our mm -hmm. kids resistance is that first maybe sign to us that to ask ourselves is this demand reasonable where is this mm -hmm. expectation or need or limit or boundary coming from and then where do I go from there yeah yeah our, our kids see through the crap that we have 
gotten accustomed to just taking for what it is, right? Um, that we, we've been trained for so long that it's not okay to, uh, to show your real feelings, that you have to hide your real, real feelings, that you won't be lovable. No, nobody will like you if you show up as you really are. And our kids haven't learned that lesson yet. They, they, they come out into the world and they express their whole feelings and they express their needs. And, and when we ask them to do something and they resist, that's a really good signal to us. Oh, there's something happening here that I can use as a signal that maybe there's something to unpack, right? So if my uh, child is resisting putting a jacket on, are they actually going to be in bodily danger if they don't put a jacket on? Or am I just feeling worried that I'm going to be judged if my child goes out without a jacket on? What's the worst thing that could happen if I bring the jacket with me? You know, I get a bit cold. Is it possible that I could meet their need for autonomy, right, if that's their need or comfort, um, so they get to be the one who decides what happens to their body, that they get to be comfortable when and when they decide that they're ready for the jacket. And obviously, the older they get, the more they're going to be able to carry the jacket along with them, even if they don't wear it right now. But when, when they're young, can we just bring the jacket so that they can make those decisions? Um, they can be the one who says, this is right for me right now. The jacket is not right for me right now. And, um, and, and we can see that as a... I mean, a, a real acknowledgement of their needs and, and, and that them, they're articulating their needs and, and we, we can learn to do that too. <laughs> I love that. We have a sweet note from someone here in the comments. You three have shaped my parenting identity right from the start. That's the baby course that we did together. I've noticed the shift in my family since prioritizing collaboration and connection to meet all of our needs. Thank you. <laughs> really inspiring. So, Tell us about, we can either talk about the needs cupcake, or we can talk about that and feelings cupcakes, or we can talk about the problem solving approach and kind of give people a little bit of a, uh, like a taste of, of what to expect in the book that, that they could be learning and applying in these challenging moments or competing needs situations with their kids. Yeah. What sounds fun for you to talk about? Um, let's see, the, the cupcakes, I think the cupcakes are really useful, folks. I'm really glad that they made it in. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's do the cupcakes. Okay, so tell us about the cupcakes. Let's, we're starting fresh here. Let's say we don't know about it. Yeah. I'm going to pull up the graph. What we do know is we have feelings, mm -hmm. we have needs, mm -hmm. and it's really hard for us to know what those are. I think mm -hmm. with our kids so often, with their jumping on the couch or their like hitting a sibling, for example. Yeah. And we think, well, are there needs then to hit a sibling? Are there needs then to jump on the couch? I think we get, again, we're in that behaviorist, behavior-focused uh, lens. And it's uh, so much of the work you do in this book is helping us look beneath those behaviors and get to deeper, more fundamental needs. Because at that source, that's where a lot of the problem solving can happen mm -hmm. because there are many ways to meet needs. And we, just like our kids, only have a certain number of, of intact or easily grabbable strategies to meet those needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that what your book does is it opens up the conversation to say, there are so many other ways to meet our needs that are super optional, adaptive, creative, um, supportive, productive, right? Mm -hmm. They can get us yeah. out of these conflicts and into more collaborative um, moments together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so let's, I, let's take a common example, right? Uh, let's take getting out the door in the morning, right? So, so sometimes children will resist 
getting dressed, putting the shoes on, um, doing doing the things that we need to do to get out the door in the morning. And very often what I'll hear, uh, I actually coached some parents through this in a workshop yesterday, and the parent said, I need you to get out the door, right? Um, and so, well, actually, that's not really a need. <laughs> Any, anytime you're starting a phrase, I need you to, it, that's not really a need. Our need is going to be for things like competence in our work, for harmony, for ease. Can this just be easier? And so very often we are trying to meet a similar set of needs over and over again. And our children are trying to set a, meet a similar set of needs over and over again. Um, and so there's a, a list of needs in the back of Parenting Beyond Power. There are also lists available you can find online. Um, my list is shorter than the ones online because I find the ones online to be very intimidating. Some of them are organized alphabetically, which is not super helpful. Um, mine are organized by intensity of feeling so that you can more easily locate how you're, how you're feeling, what your needs are. Um, and so the point of the cupcakes is to say that very often we're meeting a relatively small set of needs over and over again. And so our, our needs at the top of the cupcake on the cherry on the top of the cupcake um, are the ones that for a young child, these might be things like connection autonomy for some children it will be things like sensory comfort right that that if there's if the child is has a label in their in their clothes or they get jostled in line you know going out from school that everything else falls apart so so these the cherry needs are the ones that just come up over and over and over and over again and then the next layer into that is the frosting and so these are the next three to five needs that come up very often for your child of course they're going to be different for every child um, but but they're going to be consistent within your child and then underneath that is the rest of the cupcake and so that's the idea that, okay if we've considered the cherry needs we've considered the frosting need then and we haven't yet found what's happening why the child is resisting then we can consider everything else but we don't need to look at this huge list of needs and get completely overwhelmed and think ah, I have no idea what it is if we know that our child's cherry need is for connection for autonomy, right? Every any time our child resists, we're going to go to those things first and say, "Is it this?" And so, you know, as an example, I worked with a parent whose uh, child was resisting uh, getting out the door in the morning, getting dressed, and you know, having a fight over this every single flipping morning. And after we start working together, the parent says to the child one day, "You know, what's going on? Why are we having a hard time getting dressed?" And and the child says. I like to know that you were the last person to hug my, to, to, um, to touch my clothes in the morning. Need for connection, right? Who could have known? To the parent, it just looks like resistance. It just looks like you're being annoying. You're, you're, you're not doing what I need, which is to get out the door. <laughs> when we see their need for connection, which is a cherry need, over and over and over again for this child, we can help them meet their need. We can give the clothes a hug, help them get dressed. They get out the door. We get our needs for competence, for ease, for harmony met. They get their need met, and, and we move through our day. Um, and so that's, that's how the cupcakes can sort of help you uh, not look through this whole list every time that you, something is going on with your child, but really focus in on what is it most likely to be each time. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. What, what do you do when you ask your child a question like that, and they don't have any idea why they're resisting, or they yeah. haven't built that awareness, or you haven't built... The, you know, practice those conversations with them. It might feel like pressure. It might, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. how do how do we talk with our kids if they're just like, because I don't wanna, and that's like, <laughs> that's like all they can, that's yes. like all they can, all they can, right? right. <laughs> 
so then we're looking for patterns, right? And uh, I have learned in the last 18 months I'm autistic, and it turns out pattern seeking is one skill. <laughs> for patterns in when we're seeing this behavior. So if we're only seeing this resistance to getting dressed on school days, it's possible there's something going on at school. And the child is resisting getting dressed that the longer they stay at home and getting dressed, the longer they until they go to school. So then we're looking at, you know, relationships with teachers, relationships with other kids at school, is the child struggling in, in academic work, something like that. Right, those are the kinds of things we're going to be looking at. It's resisting uh, both on school days and on days when you're dropping them off at a grandparent's house. Maybe it's something to do with separation from you, right? They know that the longer they, put, they draw this out, the more they get to be with you. And so then we're looking at things like comfort and safety when they're apart from you. If it's happening every single time they get dressed, no matter where they're going, even if they're going with you, even if they're going to the park where they really want to go, then we're looking at things like, are the clothes comfortable? <laughs> are they having some sort of sensory issue? So we're using the patterns of when we're seeing the behavior to be able to start to understand what is the likely need underneath that behavior. And then we can go to the child and say, hey, I've noticed that this is coming up on school days, on days when we go to the park. And I'm wondering if this is happening at school is really hard for you. Do you want to talk about that? And we're kind of inviting them into the conversation. We're talking to the teacher as well, obviously. We're looking for patterns at school so that we can support them by meeting their needs in that situation, which then meets our needs in the getting dressed situation as well. It's all connected. I love that this focus mm -hmm. is when we think about our role, which we talk about a lot in our, in our community as well, we think, do we want to be the police judge jury hall monitor <laughs> focusing on behaviors and rules right and spending our time on that when really if we're getting to the root cause as more of a detective right mm -hmm. as a pathologist or I guess that's not the best but also like a meets mediator type person mm -hmm. we're actually instead of having to control the child in that former role we're able to understand the child and understanding the child and their needs actually then is opens up this whole world to say, oh my gosh, now I know how to get this child's needs met, not at the expense of my own, but as well as my own. So yeah. that where we, neither of our needs was getting met to get out the door in the morning, we were late, so our need wasn't getting met, our day was messed up, and our child's need wasn't getting met for whatever the heck their concerns or obstacles were, when we actually focus on the needs and understanding those needs instead of the behaviors and why they're not obedient right or compliant i mean look at the beautiful like change that can happen that both needs can actually get met yeah. and i think it's just such a big change way for many parents who think well if i'm not controlling them right and being that role then i'm letting it all go yes. so again it's back to that it's either their needs or my needs yeah but focusing on needs is actually helping both needs to get yeah. met. it just it blows my mind every time we talk about it how do you, <laughs> how do you support parents jen who who kind of realize that a lot of their kids' resistance is coming from them. Because this is something I experience when my kids resist. It isn't usually anymore now that they're seven and nine that their clothes aren't right or that they're worried about something because they would probably tell me um, or that they're needing more love and connection because they will just demand it and like mm -hmm. crawl on me. It's usually more often that I'm being rushy, that I'm being pushy, that I'm being short with them. 
Those yeah. are the things that build up stress for them that make them resist going to this thing that they actually want to go to or having trouble sequencing the order of getting dressed. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle parents gently who are realizing, oh my gosh, I'm kind of causing a lot of this resistance and tension mm -hmm. and I'm opening up this cupcake concept and tiptoeing toward a problem solving um, mm -hmm. approach that you recommend in your book, Parenting Beyond Power. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a couple of tools you can use. The first is something I teach in a setting limits workshop uh, around every late April, early May. Uh, we do a workshop called Setting Loving and Effective Limits. And the first exercise that I have parents do in that workshop is to keep a list of the limits that they put on their child's behavior in a day. And I've yet to meet a parent who isn't shocked by that. <laughs> and so it, you can kind of, it, it helps you get some empathy for the child who might be, you know, a toddler, really young, and is going through much of their life being told, do this, do it this way, do it now, don't do that, right? All of these things over and over and over and over again. And we start to see, oh my goodness, what would it be like to have the, the, per, the person who's so much bigger than I am, who I love so much, saying these things to me over and over and over again throughout the day. Um, and so very often parents are then inspired to say, okay, so, we, so I'm, some of these limits are aligned with my values, but most of them are not. So can I just stop setting as many limits? And then we end up in a place where we can actually be a lot more collaborative. <coughs> Excuse me. So, um, so that's one place to start. Another place to start, that I think is super, super important is that it might seem like our big reactions to our children's behavior, our children's difficult behavior come out of nowhere, but they don't. They don't. Um, our our bodies know that these things are coming, right? So, so we're sitting down for breakfast and our kid says, oh, I want the green spoon and not the red one. And maybe we get up and we get that spoon and we feel just a little twinge in our shoulders or a tightness in our chest, in our throat, whatever our signal is that says, you know what, what about this isn't I'm hungry right now. And I'm, I'm putting that on hold so that I can get you the different colored flipping spoon. And then... You know, the next interaction comes, the next interaction comes, and each time we're putting off getting our need met so that we can do the thing that our child has asked us to do. Instead of saying, is there a way that both of our needs can be met right now? Or is there a way that uh, I should maybe set a boundary and say, you know what, I'm really hungry right now. You're welcome to go and get yourself the red spoon if you'd like the red spoon. I'm going to sit here and eat my breakfast. I'll get up when I'm done if you still want it then. Um, and so so then we're, we're protecting ourselves, right? We're protecting our energy. And so then... When, when we're, you know, when we're in a situation where we're rushing in the child and, and we're sort of feeling like we're at the end of our rope, that's because our needs have not been met so much throughout the day. So we see this often showing up at bedtime with our children, right? When, when we're trying to get them into bed and it seems like every moment that they stall bedtime is a moment stolen from my self-care. Um, and so, well, why are we getting to the end of the day relying on that time after they go to bed to meet our needs. Why are our needs not being met throughout the day? Can we get more of our needs met throughout the day so that by the time we get to bedtime, we have a little more capacity to be with them, to connect with them, to meet their needs, and also get our needs for rest and self-care met. So, so I would definitely start with counting limits and also paying attention to our body's signals uh, that are telling us, this is not right, this is not right, this is not right, so that we can use that to say, okay, let me check in with myself, let me take care of myself, so that I can then be with my child in a way that's aligned with my value. Mm, I love that.
mm -hmm. you point to the detective work that we don't do just not just for our kids but that we can do for ourselves so mm -hmm. this is two pieces of the same puzzle our kids going to show up the best they possibly can in these moments with the skills they have the capacity they've got that little nervous system you know all the stuff and we are too yeah. and we're working to, to build and nurture their capacity and their nervous system and their uh, you know awareness and communication skills but we can do the same thing for ourselves and again that's where the double work happens which is so hard and so much mm -hmm. so I want to acknowledge that but I like that you also talk about that pause which comes up in the you're taming your triggers workshop mm -hmm. and the awareness building of, of connecting the brain and body that was separated you know in our childhoods um, and saying I can use my body to support that detective work in helping me understand what are these moments that are so challenging for me because they're not objectively challenging necessarily what bothers me as a parent doesn't necessarily bother Kelty or my husband or you right what bothers you at one time of day might not bother you another time of day right. and so yeah. capacity has a huge amount to do with it in our own self-care but I like that you also tune to the fact that we have these a lot of unconscious big and small T traumas right that have influenced those moments and in the book I love that you have a um, a kind of um, not a graph but a, a side by side of like the thing that bothers us that our kids do and then where that may be coming from directly and the, the side by side comparison you're just like oh my gosh like no wonder this is really annoying to me personally because of this thing that happened in my childhood that I, I haven't even thought of that I, I, I didn't even remember that necessarily mm -hmm. but remembering that uh, even just that as an exercise to say when I get really frustrated with my kid in learning these problem-solving conversations and you know making one step after the other again it's not about whether my kids being bad or I'm being bad or they're good or whatever it is we're not talking about those binary things anymore we're talking about right. human beings here who have struggled and who are still struggling and there's a yeah. reason behind all of it and we don't always necessarily even know why and that's okay but I hope I like that you point to the fact that it, it can at least give us the awareness to give ourselves and our kids the grace as we move through this new work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that grace I think is so, so important. And it's so hard. We're not taught to treat ourselves with grace. We were not taught to treat ourselves with compassion. And so I work to fix their child's behavior, right? It's like, how do I get my kid to stop hitting? How do I get my kid to stop biting? How do I get my kid to do whatever? Uh, it seems as though the thing the kid needs to learn is to stop hitting, is to stop biting, is to stop doing whatever. And our, our children know this, right? We've told them 300 million times. <laughs> they know that we don't want to do these things. They're not, the, the problem is not a lack of information on what, our, on what we want them to do. The problem is that they have a need that currently is not being met, and they're doing this behavior because it's the best way they know how to meet their need. And there, I think there's something that feels kind of uncomfortable to parents at first, like, wait, what? I don't have to teach them that hitting's not okay, that biting's not okay, that if I just meet their need, they're going to stop hitting and biting. But don't, but don't they have to learn that hitting and biting aren't okay? <laughs> it's like there's this weird sort of push-pull dynamic that, yeah, I, I want them to stop, but I think that they need to learn how to stop. Um, when actually, if we just support them in meeting their needs, people whose needs are met don't hit. People whose needs are met don't bite. And and so when we meet their need, we get our need for safety, for ease, for harmony, for peace met too. Yeah, they figure out how to meet their needs when they struggle. They're aware of what those needs are in those conversations with us. Mm -hmm. So if they're aware of their needs, we always tell folks, 
if we're, when we're aware of our needs, we can communicate our needs and we don't have to be surprised by our needs and lash out aggressively or impulsively. That comes from a lack of awareness and ability to communicate needs. So that's why the focus of your book is so productive yeah. because it's focusing on that, that root cause, that deeper foundational work that we can do personally and in relationship with our kids. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Did you have something you wanted to say? No, it was just, I. what I also appreciate about your work too is re reminding parents that their kids' brains are growing through this and they're gonna be moving beyond these these temporary behaviors, especially with that support and those problem-solving conversations coming in, right? Yeah. Alongside just a growing prefrontal cortex, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yes, yeah, and and so we have to keep in mind what a child is developmentally capable of doing, right? Um, we we can't tell a two-year-old never to have tantrums. <laughs> we can see tantrums for what they really are, which is an expression of unmet needs, and we can work to meet their needs more of the time. But there are going to be times when we miss. There are going to be times when they get overtired, when they have a rough day at preschool, and uh, and things just feel hard, and and the crying just helps to release that, right? There are going to be times when that still happens. We can't tell a three-year-old to never hit the baby. Um, they, they can't remember it. They can't hold that instruction. Even if you've told them 300 times, they don't have the self-capacity to be able to restrain themselves when they're actually in front of the baby alone and they're feeling frustrated that they have to wait yet again because you're doing something for the baby instead of for them. So we have to keep their developmental capabilities in mind. Um, but at the same time, the more that we see their need, right, the more that we can see that, oh, a, a child with a new sibling who's hitting a lot is probably trying to figure out their place in the family, their role in the family. They want to know they're still special. And, and I think that that gets to, uh, to the thing that, that underlies almost everything else is that we want to feel seen and known and understood and, and accepted and loved for who we really are. And that's what most of us didn't get because our parents were so focused on trying to shape our behavior to fit into this culture that hurt us so much. And, uh, and so they didn't truly see and know and understand us for who we really were. And, and our children want to be seen in that way. And so when we see them in that way, they come towards us and they want to help us meet our needs as well. Mm. I feel like you've, you've mm -hmm. queued us up right to the our last question, which is, you know, why does parenting beyond power matter so much? If you could think of like three reasons why, mm -hmm. why this work matters, not to put pressure on people, but to inspire those who are listening and watching and empower them to say, maybe I can dig into this a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can think about this. This isn't one more thing on my plate. This is actually could, could be liberating in some yeah. ways. How yeah. do those ways yeah. Gosh. The three things, let me see. Um, I guess the first one would be because then you get your needs met. <laughs> um, and and, and, and that feels amazing, right? It feels amazing to have your needs met, to be able to understand that you even have needs for the first time, maybe in your life, and that it is possible to actually get them met. And uh, that, that doesn't have to happen at the expense of meeting everybody else's need. So, um, so, 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 you know, reason number one for why to do this work is because it helps you get your needs met. Reason number two is, uh, and, and so I guess sort of related to that is it helps you to heal, right? Helps you to heal from the, the difficult experiences, from the hurts, from the traumas that you experienced as a child. Reason number two is it helps to not pass that on to the next generation. And, 
to interrupt that cycle of trauma that continued through your family, that passed on all of these legacy burdens down to you, we're saying that stops here, right? To the extent that that's possible, that stops here, and I'm not going to pass on all of that trauma to my child because it's now not just that I know what I don't want to do, right? I know I don't want to do that, so what do I do? Now I have a roadmap. Now I have a roadmap to know where I'm going and what to do, and I'm going to use those tools that help interrupt this cycle of trauma and that help me to see and know and understand my child for who they really are, which is, you know, as I said, all that any of us ever wanted from our parents was that. Um, so, so that's reason number two. Reason number three is because that from there we start to see the ripples out into the broader world that um, when our children go out onto the playground and understand that other children have needs and that they can meet that child's needs and their own needs at the same time, right? They're learning more conflict resolution skills. Um, then they take that out into relationships with all kinds of other people and it starts to ripple out. And in, in my mind, that's where we work. We are dismantling. We're doing the dismantling work of healing these social forces, these social systems that have hurt us so much um, of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, because all of those are ultimately power over systems. They're about me saying my needs are more important than yours. And so if I, if I can now say your needs are as important as mine and we both deserve to get those met, that's where we work to dismantle those systems. And that's, you know, that, that to me is the real exciting potential of this. Mm -hmm. I love it. Past, present, mm -hmm. future. Yeah. Healing the past and changing those inherited legacies, making the present a lot more easy and joyful mm -hmm. and meaningful. <laughs> And then setting up this future generation to make some really big change, right? Yeah. Definitely. Mm. So tell us a little bit about how people can find your book. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your book and book tour and everything. Yeah, so it's on uh, the big website that's named after a river. It's in all of your local bookstores. If you are on the West Coast, I'm doing a lot of events right now, the West Coast of the US. I've been to Vancouver already. I'm in Seattle right now and heading down to Portland very soon for some special events with you that I know you're going to talk about. And uh, we may move the tour beyond that. We're not sure yet. If we're going to head further out, we'll sort of do an assessment of how it's working for the family. Um, I will say that that the, the book is available on a gift economy basis on my website. So uh, the ebook, you can get the ebook. Uh, I invite you to pay what feels right to you, right? If you can afford to pay more to support me in the work that I do with other people, I invite you to do that. If you would like to uh, accept a lower price as a form of reparations from me, uh, if you identify as a person of color, uh, or if you just can't afford the full price, I invite you to pay less. So I'm trying to live my values <laughs> through the book to the extent that I can um, while still acknowledging that you know I live in a capitalist system and have bills to pay like everybody else does so always uh, trying to navigate that tension you do it beautifully mm -hmm. and it was so great to chat with you we're so excited to see you in a week or so mm -hmm. um, thanks for you know talking with us and our community we love sharing you with with um, our folks and we know they get so much from from your speaking from your writing from all of your offerings so we'll make sure to um put for the podcast and our here on instagram all of your links for everyone to check out your book and um your tour and your podcast yeah. thanks so much for having me thanks I'll see you soon. bye jen see you soon. take care all right everybody
Thanks for being here for um, our discussion with Jen about her new book. Let us know if you have any questions about it. If you um, want to join our membership collective to read the book club of the month with us with this. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions, if you're a Portlander or around Portlander about our events coming up at the end of the month, we'll have information on that. Anything else you want to do to wrap this up? This was great. Yeah. Be sure to follow uh, your parenting mojo on Instagram. Check out her podcast. People who come to us and say, okay, I like the sound of what you're talking about, but like, I need to see some research. I need to show this to my partner or my mother-in-law is like, but where's the research that spanking is harmful? We usually point them toward Jen because mm -hmm. Jen does all the research mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's just amazing. It's a treasure um, trove of episodes mm -hmm. and wonderfulness. Lots of, of deep thinking as well. And you know, on our social and cultural conditioning, as we said, lots mm -hmm. to unpack, lots to grow through. Mm -hmm. um, thanks again for being here. You're doing an amazing job. You're not alone. We're all growing up together. We will see you soon. We'll be back soon. Bye.